This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to study a little while this evening about the rich young ruler and the fact that he went away sorrowful. This man's story is a wonderful test case of the principles that we've talked about this week. Our theme has revolved around the idea of God's word and God's way being the right guide for us. And the voice of the world is to be devoutly ignored and disregarded because that ultimately is the voice of Satan and it is not right. God's truth is absolute. And what we see in the story of the rich young ruler is a man who from the world's perspective had every advantage. And though there were many things about him that were very applaudable, and we will applaud some of those things in this evening's study. There was something fundamentally wrong with him. There was a part of him that listened to the world's voice, and he made his choices accordingly, and it destroyed his life to a measure that the narrative does not tell us but more tragically, it destroyed his eternity. Please join your hearts to the words that we will study now this evening from God's word. Matthew 19, we'll read here the story as it's recorded in Matthew's gospel. Beginning at verse 16, Behold, one came and said to him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, and honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor <coughs> as thyself. The young man said to him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said to him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Think about this young man. This young man, as we esteem things in life, we meaning humanity in a general kind of a worldly sense, he had everything you could want. He had wealth, he had youth, and he had power. He was a rich, young ruler. Now you think about the things that people pursue in life that seems to matter the most to folks out there just in general life pursuit and certainly specifically in worldly pursuits. And all of these things that people seek 
can be achieved if you've got wealth and youth and power. Doesn't this boil down to the things that people crave? Wealth, youth, and power. Some people obtain wealth late in life, but they don't have enough of youth energy left to be able to enjoy it. Some people use their power to gain wealth. Some people use their wealth to gain power. Some people use their youth (coughs) to gain power and wealth. But this man had all three things. And yet, there was something that made him want to come to Jesus. There was something about Jesus that made him go to Jesus instead of the rabbis or the high priest or the rulers of the synagogues that dotted the landscape of Judah. This is a compelling story. Think of his wealth. Proverbs 23 and 5 says, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? (coughs) For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Tell me you haven't felt that way. That riches make wings and they fly away. If you forget that, you'll remember it when it's the time of the month to pay bills. And you gather the income for that month, and there it is, arranged in place in the bank account, ready to go. And you strive on in the vain and fleeting hope that somehow, this time around, we'll have a little bit left over. No, you won't. Because by the time you start paying the electric bill and the gas bill and the this bill and the that bill and buy groceries bill and the house bill and the tax bill and the time you get all the guy's name bill paid, it's grown wings and it's flown away. If you've managed to grapple and scrap and struggle and get your way past that point, I congratulate you. But I think most of us here, if you're not there at that point right now in your life, you've been there before. (coughs) This man had wealth. Wealth can so easily go away. It's so uncertain. Sometimes in a financial advisory context, we'll read about books and we'll hear from advisors that talk about financial security. And I just want to tell you there is no such thing as financial security here on earth. That is a myth. How many wealthy people have made it and lost it and made it again and lost it again? Financial security is a myth. In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 7, he said, We brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Even if you could secure your wealth, in a way that was absolutely certain so that you held on to it all the way to the grave. Once you get to the grave, you hit a brick wall and you're not taking it from there. The vast tombs of the amazing pyramids of Egypt scream testimony to this fact. How many pharaohs tried in vain to take it with them? 
And buried deep in the bowels of those tombs was not only their preserved bodies, but much of their wealth. And thieves made their way through the cavernous recesses and the, the myriad of mazes as they finally dug a little deeper and got here and got there and managed to find their way down to where the wealth was. And what did they do? Over the centuries, they'd taken it bit by bit until it's gone. You can't take it with you. In Psalms 49, verse 6 through 8, he said, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him for the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever. What if you could take it with you? It's fleeting, it grows wings and fly away, but what if you held on it to, it to the grave? Well, you can't bring it past the grave. Well, what if you could? What are you going to do with it on the other side? It's not, you're not, what are you going to take it up there to God and say, here you go, I'd like to buy some of my friends and loved ones out of hell. That's not going to work. I'll tell you an old joke that in my mind, the joke is kind of based on a misunderstanding of what I think Revelation 21 might be like, but, but it's still, I think there's a point to be made here. This guy was going on about all the gold he had amassed in life, and he just really wanted to take it with him. So he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, can I please take all my gold with me? You know the idea from Revelation 21 about heaven's streets being paved with gold, and so based on that idea, you know, he he's, goes up there, and finally the Lord grants his request, and he takes all of his gold with him, and he goes up to St. Peter, and St. Peter says, yeah, the Lord said let him bring it in. <laughs> And the guy walks on in with all of his bricks of gold and Peter says to the angel standing there, why do you want pavement <laughs> up here? Well, I, you know, I'm not sure that's really what that's all about, but it carries the idea that what we esteem as great wealth is nothing in heaven. And it's nothing to God. If you could bring it with you beyond the grave, it's not going to help. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, Proverbs 11 and 4 says, but the righteousness delivereth from death. Whatever value we assign to wealth, that value is very limited. So on the one hand, you look at that rich young ruler and you think, man, he had it all. You know, he really didn't have as much as it looked like. I know we value the things that he had, but when we look at those things from a spiritual perspective, their value begins to diminish, do they not? Well, but he had youth. I mean, those of us who no longer have youth, you want it again? I know there's a lot of stuff back there we don't want to go relive. But I'm talking about the energy. The vitality, that elusive sickum that makes you want to get up and go. Somewhere along the way, it got up and went. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 11 and 10 says, Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. 
I wonder why he would say that childhood and youth are vanity. Maybe it's because those things are fleeting and they're gone before you know it. Maybe it's because those things are a lot like wealth. It's just a matter of time before it grows wings and flies away. I remember with fondness as a very young man visiting with the elderly men that were part of my life. I counted that as a blessing. And I can't count the ones that told me, you know, Dave, between my ears, I still feel 18. I thought that was kind of a curious thing, but I didn't doubt them. What I really thought is, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of make a mental note of that. I see some of you with a look on your face like you kind of identify with that. The older I get, the more I understand what they were talking about. I think that might be why Ram broke his collarbone, y'all. <laughs> Between his ears, he still felt 18. I think his wife's probably reminding him now that he's not. It's gone before you know it. If you're young tonight, it doesn't seem true. And I'll tell you, there's a biological reason that it doesn't seem true. They've actually proven in a study of the brain's biology that in your youth, your brain reckons time differently. If you'll stop and think, it, it sort of feels like summers just last for a really long time, and that's the best feeling ever. But as you listen to the old people in your life, you hear them talk about, man, I can't believe that it's already summer. And, and before, you know, when you've gone through eons of summer and you're having fun, then one day they're saying, I can't believe summer's already gone. It's because as you get older, the biology changes in a way that lets reality set in and it reveals to you a truth that's been there all along. You were just too young to see it. And that is the years are flying by like telephone poles when you're driving down the highway way beyond the speed limit. Just zip, 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 one right after the other. That's how fast the years are flying by. And today it seems like it's taken a long time to get grown. But sometime down the road after you get grown, you're going to look back and say, that didn't take no time at all. That passed in the blink of an eye. Because childhood and youth are vanity. It doesn't last. James 4.14, whereas you know what, uh, you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. How high does the morning sun climb on the golden eastern horizon before that fog drifting lazily along the ground is suddenly gone? That is the brevity of life. In all of its swiftness, youth passing and fading away into aged years. Young man had power. That seems kind of cool. Who wouldn't want to have power? Psalm 62 and verse 9 says, Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. This passage imagines, imagines pardon me, somebody with a lot of power and somebody with very little power, low degree versus high degree. And he says, You put them in the balance together, and they're both lighter than vanity. Power is, at the end of the day, meaningless and fleeting. 
In Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 8, he tells us why. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. There is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. No amount of power that you can amass here on earth will give you the power to hold your spirit back in the day of your passing when it's leaving the body and returning to God who gave it. No strength of your hands, no strength in your arms, no strength of will will win that war. You can amass power from now to the landlocked level and you will not amass enough power to stay the hand of death. You're losing. I'm losing. And life is leaving. And when it does, what will that power mean? When it is at the grave just as gone as our wealth and our youth. I admire the rich young ruler. It looked like he had it all, but we've knocked a few holes in that. But he understood that something was missing. He wanted better. We've talked some this week about Ecclesiastes 5, 10, 11. He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver. He that loves abundance with increase. <coughs> this is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? Whatever wealth he had, you can only live up so much. You can only eat so much. You can only sit in so many chairs. You can only wear so many golden robes. I mean, you, you can try to soak it in, but there's only so much you can soak in. That biscuit will only hold so much gravy. And after a while, you stop and realize, hey, this isn't working. We've talked about that this week. How that fleshly things ultimately don't satisfy the way that it seems they should. This man felt that. And he wanted something better. I admire that. He had come to a point in his life where he knew that what he was doing wasn't working and he felt a nagging emptiness. And I'll be if he didn't go to the only one that could fix it. I can tip my hat to that. He wanted better. Furthermore, I would say this guy was a decent man. <clears throat> he said, what do I lack? And Jesus said, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your parents and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all these things have I kept from my youth up. Mark's account of this story says at this moment, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. I like this guy. Jesus did too. Look at the list. How many of us can say we've never broken any of those commands? Okay, so we haven't murdered until we get to 1 John and he said, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. I'm out. 
I'm sorry, I'd love to stand here and tell y'all I've never hated anybody. I really wish I could say that with honor and integrity, but I can't. I've failed. I'm already off the list. Well, don't commit adultery. Whoever looks at a woman for the intent of lusting after her has committed adultery in his heart. How many bailed out on that one? Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Anybody ever lie about somebody? Honor your parents, mostly. You know, you can take the Ten Commandments and break them into two categories. I wonder if you've ever noticed this. Jesus said the greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you can take those Ten Commandments and put them under those two columns. Some of them had to do with our relationship with God and how we love God. Keep the Sabbath holy. That's what he wanted his people Israel to do. Don't have any other graven images. Don't take God's name in vain. Things like that. That relates to your love for God. And these other commands relate to your love for your neighbor. Love your neighbor is not in the Ten Commandments expressly stated, but it's there thematically because the part of those commands that deals with our relationship with our fellow man are built on the foundation of loving your neighbor. And we know the Bible teaches us that. And this guy checked every box that Jesus listed. I mean, that's a decent man. I've had neighbors that I wish were a lot more like that. You know when the Texas Rangers come knocking on your door hunting your neighbor, you know there's a polecat in the hen house. Maybe that's never happened to you. I felt sort of weird when that happened to me. You'll dust off that yes, sir, no, sir, when those guys are talking to you. I've had neighbors that were far less than this. Maybe I've been a neighbor that was far less than this. Who would like to live next door to these kind of people? Well, maybe we've all got, or at least some of us have some neighbors that are a good bit like that. Man, I appreciate them. But something was missing. The man felt inadequate. He couldn't shake the feeling that he wasn't good enough. Like we've studied earlier this week, Psalms 53, 2 through 3, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back there altogether, become filthy. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Remember we talked about that earlier this week? Remember the broken chain, those of you who were with us for that study? I can just imagine this guy laying down of a night and going over the commands in his mind. Yeah, I've kept, I've kept that one. I hadn't broke that one. I've kept that one. And when he got done with the inventory, something's missing. What lack I yet. I respect him for his feeling of inadequacy. He knew he had a duty that he was missing out on. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. This had to be on his mind. He 
had to have heard readings in the synagogue from Ecclesiastes. Perhaps he thought of this as he went to Jesus with this nagging feeling that I'm missing something. When we think in New Covenant terms, we think of Hebrews 5 and verse 9 that teaches essentially the same thing. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. The Lord has always stressed obedience to him as an expression of our belief in him and our faith in him. You know, some say there's really nothing you have to do. And if that was true, this was a golden opportunity for Jesus to tell this man when he said, what lack I yet? It was a golden opportunity for Jesus to say, you don't need anything. You're just fine. Don't you know that there's nothing that you can do? But Jesus didn't say that. Because Jesus knows that's not what the Scriptures teach. Jesus was the walking Word of God. He knew better. And so he didn't say that. Instead, he said, you know the commands. Did you ever notice the commands that Jesus listed? We're thinking, well, Dave, we know you're getting old, but I mean, you just listed them. Of course we noticed the commands that he listed. Did you ever notice the one he didn't list? Go back and look at it. Divide the Ten Commandments in your mind and take the ones that pertain to loving God and set them aside and then just look at the ones that pertain to loving your neighbor the part of the list that Jesus worked off of. And you know what he omitted? Thou shalt not covet. Jesus left that off. And he left it off for a reason. Because he's going to put the medicine where the pain is. He knew the one commandment the guy had not been obedient to. And so he left that off the list to elicit the response, Lord, I've kept all these commands. And then Jesus spackled the crack. And after he said, well, what am I lacking? Then Jesus put the medicine on the pain. And he said, you're going to have to unload it. You're going to have to get rid of it all. What are we to make of that? Is Jesus saying that our possessions are like a spiritual hot potato? Y'all ever play hot potato? Where you got to pass it until the whatever ends and then whoever's left holding it, well, you're sunk. It's a little bit like musical chairs, only it's a hot potato instead of a chair. Is he saying that our possessions are like a hot potato and so I've got to sell everything I have and I've got to give it to Brother Garland? And what's he going to do? He's going to look at it and say, well, Jesus said we got to sell it all. So he sells it all and he tosses it across the aisle. And now somebody else has the hot potato and they're frantically trying to get rid of it before the Lord comes. I mean, obviously that's not what Jesus is saying. We can read abundantly in Scripture from that story forward about a lot of great and wonderful people of God that had stuff. And before that story of people that had stuff. But in this story, we're reading about a man who had a deep problem with greed. And he was going to have to lance the boil if he was going to get right with God.
And that meant hitting the reset button. Get rid of it all and start from scratch. He was a covetous man and his things were his idols. And if you're going to serve God, you've got to get rid of your idols. He knew he had a duty. Because deep down his conscience convicted him that he had a problem. And Jesus, knowing the hearts of men as the Son of God did and does, helped him to see his problem. And with that problem, he kept Christ at arm's length. John 8 and 24, Jesus said, I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Now how does this represent the rich young ruler? Well, the, in the most obvious way he kept Christ at arm's length is when Jesus said, get rid of your stuff, he declined to do that. But you notice early on in the story where he said, good master, what may I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There's none good but God. I used to read that and think, he's kind of biting his head off. Why would he do that? It's like he's scolding him for calling him good master. Why? Well, of course Jesus was good. Why? Why would Jesus correct him for calling him good? He wasn't. He was correcting him for not drawing the conclusion that he should have drawn. Jesus said, there's none good but God. He didn't say that to deny his own goodness. He said that to affirm his own deity. What he's getting at is if you really think I'm God, then why won't you connect the dots and admit that I'm the divine son of God? If I'm not the divine son of God, I'm not as good as you think I am. I'm just as lost as you are. But you've come to me and you've said good master, so that tells me you ought to know. You should have put this together. But he didn't. He held him at arm's length. He wouldn't believe that he was who he claimed to be. Of all the good things that we can see and celebrate and commend and say, please buy the house next door to me, there's some cracks in his armor. And the guy wouldn't yield. He wouldn't give it up. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? He listened to that little voice of the world inside that said, keep it, it's yours. It'll make you happy. It'll make you feel fulfilled. Those other people don't deserve it. You worked hard for it. You ought to get to enjoy it. And whatever else was stirring around in his head when he said, I'm not doing it. And I would argue to you that he went away empty-handed Though his hands were full of gold, his heart was still full of that nagging feeling. What lack I yet? I guess I'll go live in my fine house and wear my fine clothes and eat my fine food and try to convince myself that somehow it'll be okay. What did he gain? He lost everything. He went away sorrowful, and going away from Christ is sorrowful. 
It's sorrowful because when you go away from Christ, you lose heaven's wealth. And when you go away from Christ, you don't just lose youth, you lose eternal life. And when you go away from Christ, you give up the one power you can't get on your own, and that's power over death. That's why he went away sorrowful. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Jesus taught while here on earth about the value of treasures that are eternal, about riches that don't grow wings and fly away when it's time to pay the bills, about riches that cannot be stolen by graft or corruption or violence or any other means, riches that cannot fade. And when you walk away from Christ, you walk away from that eternal wealth. This man had his youth in that moment, but I'll tell you, that's long gone. When you serve Jesus, you gain a youth that will never leave. 1 Timothy 6 and 12, Paul told his son in the faith, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. Lay hold on eternal life. I want to think about that phrase, eternal life. That means more than just eternal existence. That word translated life attached to the way it is here to the word eternal carries the idea of a higher quality of life. It's not about just getting up every day and still somehow feeling young and that goes on and that goes on, but it's a quality of life, heavenly reward. Whatever quality of life you enjoy today because of youth or good health or whatever, it's going to leave you. It already is. You just may not feel it yet, but that'll never leave you. The Lord called it eternal repeatedly in Scripture for a reason. And power over death. Psalms 49 and 15, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. When we walk faithfully with Christ, he wields the power over the grave to release us from the bonds of death some sweet day when he comes again. So that power we can't get by the labor of our own hands, he provides because he broke forth from the grave victorious over death. And the rich young ruler walked away sorrowful because he walked away from that. He went away sorrowful. Because he had great possessions. He gave it all up. He lost it all for what? His wealth is gone. His youth is gone for he is dead. And he has no power. And everything he exchanged for his soul is now nothing. A businessman that was no doubt wise and quite talented in the ways of monetary gain made the worst deal of all eternity. Don't repeat his mistake. Don't listen to the voice of the world. Accept God's absolute truth.
that eternity with all of its blessings matter more than anything you can have here in this life. And with that acceptance, whatever idol there might be in your life that stands between you and your God, set it aside and walk away and come to Jesus. If you've never been baptized into Christ and you're ready to obey the gospel to now, come to Jesus. There's nothing this world has to offer that's worth holding back. Let go of it and come to Jesus. Don't go away tonight sorrowful. Come to Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.